We're doing this um, series right now, and we've been calling it the Unforced Rhythm of Grace, Unforced Rhythms, plural, of grace. And uh, I just want you to know this morning, we're going a little bit, we're going super practical today. It's going to be really down to earth and really practical because we're talking about real life stuff uh, that we're doing and that we live in our lives. And so we're basing this series on the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, which says, are you tired? Okay, how many of you at least once this week went, I'm tired, right? Okay, me too, several times this week. Okay, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Just come to me, Jesus said. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, just watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Just keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Now, if you're like me, you read that scripture, and you go, yeah, right? Just, oh, that sounds good. And, and, and we've been trying to do this series going, you know, for some of us, we have, we have made faith something that's um, in one way harder than it needs to be and in another way a little too, uh, we've dumbed it down a little bit. So for some of us, we've, we've made Christian faith a whole thing about sin management, that, that if I could just, you know, deal with the sins in my life and, and get rid of them and repent enough times and get forgiven and stop doing them, then I'll have made it as a Christian. And, and really, when you say it out loud like that, you go, well, that's kind of a... Ugh. I mean, yeah, we got to deal with the sin and the nonsense that's in our lives, and we need God to forgive us and cleanse us, but surely there's more than that in being a follower of Jesus. And for others of us, we, we're really going for those high spiritual moments, those moments that are dramatic, and they're just pow, you know, they're just God just showed up, and I know that, I just know that God was there in this moment, or God spoke to me in this moment, and those are moments that are also really, really important, and they shape us, and, and we have moments like that every now and then through our lives, but some of us get a little bit addicted to them, and we're just kind of searching for one, one spiritual high after another, one big dramatic moment after another, and then when we don't have them, or they don't happen, then we're like, I don't know what's left, and, and surely there's more to faith than just managing sin or jumping from one spiritual high to another. And so we're kind of talking about the day-to-day parts of faith and and how Jesus lived and how he called us to live and what we're calling these unforced rhythms of grace. And how do we become shaped by these rhythms? How do they make a difference so that our lives are meaningful and they're filled with purpose and we, we have lives that are actually reflecting God and reflecting the life that Jesus has called us to? So we've been doing this series... Um, for several weeks. And, and one week we did a bunch of S words and we talked about um, solitude and silence and Sabbath and scripture. And, uh, and we did all of that. And, and we actually just in the middle of our service then just now, we took some of that and we applied it and we just had silence. We've been practicing that in a few of our services. And some of you, it's the only time you have silence in your entire life. And there's something healing and something beautiful that comes when we learn how to be silent 
in God's presence. And so we practiced that a little bit just a few minutes ago. And then um, two weeks ago, we had fifth Sunday last week. So the week before that, we talked about gratitude. And uh, we talked about this, this practice, this rhythm of just intentionally expressing gratitude and being thankful in our lives. And not just having an attitude of gratitude, because it rhymes, but actually expressing it out loud and saying it out loud. And I told you uh, this practice that Jeff and I have, where we will look at each other without any warning at all. And Jeff did it to me yesterday and I totally started stumbling. And, and we just look at one another and we go, okay, three things you're grateful for, go. And then the other one has to, has to answer. And so yesterday, we, Jeff and I were in the car. We were going for a drive because we wanted to see the fall colors. And, uh, and Jeff said to me, three things you're thankful for, go. And I went, ah, right? And I just totally stumbled and, and blanked out and went, oh, my goodness, surely there's three things. Uh, I'm thankful for the fall colors. And I'm thankful for a day with Jeff. And I don't remember what the third thing was that I said. But it just catches us off guard. But it's a good, it's a good practice and a good rhythm. In fact, you know what? Let's just do that now. And some of you are like, oh, come on. Trust me, the people around you are lovely, okay? So, so just, we're just going to take 30 seconds. You could stand up if you want to, but go to somebody near you and just go, three things you're thankful for, go. Okay, you got to actually do it. Don't stare at me. I see you staring at me. Three things you're thankful for, go. Eight seconds left. Okay, there you go. See, three things you're thankful for. You just shared some gratitude. You just did one of these unforced rhythms of grace. And some of you are going, that's because you forced us to. Well, you know, over time, as you get used to it, it becomes unforced. But sometimes we have to force what we need to learn. I mean, that's just the way it is, right? And so in this series, we've been talking about uh, different resources that, that we would suggest to you that might be helpful to you as you're doing this. And so we've got uh, this one book called Survival Guide for the Soul that's available at the Resource Zone if you're interested in buying it. We also recommended to you two other books that maybe you might be interested in. I just left it up to you. One's called Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster, which just talks about spiritual practices and things we can bring in our lives. One of them was called The Practice of the Presence of God, which is um, by Brother Lawrence, a guy named Brother Lawrence from the 17th century. And uh, it's very interesting because one of you came to me last week and you said, Patty, you know, I bought, I downloaded that book, The Practice of the Presence of God. And I looked at it and went, this is the smallest book I've ever seen in my life. It's so short and it's so brief. I'm going to have this done in no time. And she said, so I, I downloaded it and I opened it up and I read the first paragraph and I went, whoa. And she goes, and I, I had to sit it down. And I sat it down and just had to, I just had to let that paragraph soak in for a while. I went about my day and I just went, and then, you know, the next day I picked up some more and thought, okay, let's get, and I read the next paragraph and went, oh, Wow. She said, I have had that book for two weeks now, and I still haven't finished it. 
But she said, there's so much in it. Thank you for telling me about it. And, and this is a woman who does not have time to spare. This is a woman who, who can do things efficiently and quickly and knows the best way to get things done. But she just found that this is something that's helping to slow her down and make space for God to work through it in her life. So it's kind of cool hearing different people's stories of how this stuff is, is impacting and shaping your life. So today, one of these rhythms of grace that we want to talk about is this idea of simplicity. And I know it's another S word, but I couldn't fit them all in, in the first week. So we're going to talk about simplicity today. Um, it's going to be super practical. And actually I'm going to be a little vulnerable up here trying to talk about just what I think this, what this looks like, how this works maybe in my life. And so I'm asking you to be kind about that, but, but looking at this idea of simplicity and I'm calling it living, living with open hands, living with a posture of open hands. And really, because because it's a lot about stuff, like, I mean, physical material stuff that we have, you know, stuff, clothes, uh, stuff in our kitchens, all the stuff, right? And being able to, to, to have it. Now, we're not asking people, let's just reject all the stuff and, and live like some, you know, just, just live in a box somewhere. We're not saying just do that. But we're also saying be able to be able to hold the stuff that we have, but also be able to let it go if we need to. So living, living with open hands, this ability to have it, this ability to let it go and kind of working with that as a practice of simplicity. And it's funny because the more I worked on this uh, topic for today, I, I thought, oh my goodness, simplicity is not simple. It's actually a really tough thing to wrap your head around. So I was, I was looking at the stories of Jesus going, I can see this at work here, but how do I, I don't want to impose my own framework on scripture. And it's, it's complicated because Jesus was a guy who said things like, you know, foxes have dens uh, to live in and birds have nests, but the son of man, that was Jesus, the son of man has no place to even lay his head. And if we want to say, oh, I'm just going to be real simple about that. Obviously, Jesus was trying to drop a hint going, hey, hello, I don't have anywhere to sleep tonight. If somebody could help me out with something because the foxes have dens and the birds got a nest, but I don't even have a pillow. And it would be simple to say that Jesus was dropping kind of a poor me um, comment or a little bit of a complaint. Why isn't somebody looking after him? Except, except... We actually know from the rest of scripture that there were people that were looking after him. I mean, we read the stories of him going to Martha and Mary and Lazarus' house, and he clearly landed on their couch more than once. And, and even we think that he just, sometimes we think he just traveled around with these 12 disciples, but scripture tells us there were more than that, and, and different people were pitching in to help make it happen. So example, it says in Luke chapter 8 that Jesus took his 12 disciples with him along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, and among them, it starts naming them, were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, and Joanna, who was the wife of Herod's business manager, and Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. So he's not dropping a complaint. He's not dropping a hint because his needs actually are being met. So, so when he said this verse, I mean, what was he saying when he said, you know, foxes have their dens and birds have nests, but the son of, I mean, some people might say, well, obviously he was romanticizing poverty. Obviously, he's spiritualizing what it is to be homeless. And he's telling his followers, you know, if you're really godly and you're really going to follow me, then you won't own anything. And you'll be super poor because that's what the godliest state is to be. And yet, if we were really thinking Jesus was saying this, we'd also have to say well, he's a bit of a hypocrite 
because he's being supported by people that own things, and you can't really do that. And also, so that can't be right. But then when you look at the context, you go, well, actually what Jesus was doing was he was responding to someone. And someone had come up to him and said, hey, Jesus, I will go wherever you go. I'm going to follow you wherever you go. I'm going to do whatever you called me to do. And Jesus goes, well, okay, but just so you know, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but son of man doesn't. He's kind of going, you need to know what it is you're signing up for. If you think you're signing up to follow me just so that you can get rich and happy and all the good things, that ain't what this path is. And so then it's not really, so it's complicated, you know, this idea of simplicity. What does that mean? What does that look like? There's this one story where Jesus told a rich person to, to go and sell everything they had and give it to the poor. And all of us right now go, it's a good thing I'm not rich. Right? Because we don't want to do that. And, and, but, and so we can kind of take from that and go, well, see, Jesus told everybody that's rich, you need to sell everything and give it to the poor. Except that doesn't really make sense either because then that just means that all the rich now are poor and now we have more poor. So that doesn't economically quite make sense. And the truth is he didn't tell everybody to do that. He told this one guy to do that. And it seems the way the story is told that he told that one guy to do that because that was that one guy's sticking point about following Jesus. And we all have one, okay? Not you, but the person beside you. We all have a sticking point where at some point God's going to go, that thing, that right there, that's what you need to deal with. And that was the thing for this guy, and we know it was because he did everything else to follow Jesus. But when Jesus said, hey, I'd like to talk about your wealth, he was like, mm-mm, and it says that he walked away sadly. So, so I don't think it was about wealth. I think it was about the something that, that can get in the way of, for each of us of following Jesus. Now, I think there is a clue. In the parable that Jesus told one time, he told this story about a rich person, like really rich, who had all the stuff. They had the house. They got the barn. They got all this stuff. And then they get this huge surplus on top of the stuff that they already have. And they're going, oh, my, what a problem I have. I have so much stuff. I have so much stuff, I can't fit it in the stuff that I already have to hold this stuff, so I'm going to have to build more stuff. I'm going to build barns and storage units to hold all my extra stuff because my stuff won't fit where my regular stuff already is, Okay. This is the parable that he tells. Now, I'm going to paraphrase here, but Jesus' opinion about that was, that is so dumb. That's so dumb. Why would you build bigger stuff to store your already too much stuff when you already have more than enough stuff in the house and the storage that you have? And by the way, your stuff ain't going to do you no good when you're dead. That's what Jesus had to say about that. And then he said in Luke 12, 15, life is not measured by how much you own. Just let that statement sink in just a little bit. Life is not measured by how much you own. Everything in our North American society, by the way, will, will fight you on that statement. Okay? But Jesus said, Life is not measured by how much you own. And then he said, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, 
but not have a rich relationship with God. So, so stop worrying about stuff. It's not about the stuff. So I think the message of simplicity and the spiritual practice of simplicity is not about have less stuff or be minimalist, or it's certainly not, you know, rich people are evil and poor people are godly. That's not the message of simplicity because there is no inherent godliness in being poor. And there's no inherent godliness in being rich. And there's no inherent evil in either of those things. But the point is to seek God first. That that's what's supposed to be the main priority. Because just later on, after Jesus says, you know, your life is not measured by how much you own. Just a few verses later in Luke chapter 12, verse 31, he said, seek God first. Seek the kingdom of God first, which means that everything else is second. Everything else takes a back seat to God and to being in a relationship with God. And so everything else, we just hold it loosely with open hands, able to hold it, able to let it go. Now, can we just talk about stuff in our society? There, We have in North America, in Canada, in Montreal, we have this weird obsession with stuff. Okay, not us in here. We all have it all together. Out there, the people out there, we have this weird obsession with having stuff and not having stuff and hoarding stuff and getting new stuff and all the stuff that we have this weird obsession with in our society. And so, so Richard Foster in this one book that I was telling you about, he's pretty harsh about it. And so I'm just going to read what he says. And if you don't like it, you could talk to him. But he said, our need for security has led us into an insane attachment to things. We really must understand that the lust for affluence or wealth in contemporary society is psychotic, he said. It is psychotic because it has completely lost touch with reality. We crave things we neither need nor enjoy. We buy things that we don't want to impress people we don't like. Right? Where planned obsolescence or something, you know, being no longer current, no longer, planned obsolescence leaves off, psychological obsolescence takes over. And we are made to feel ashamed to wear clothes or drive cars until they're worn out. The mass media have convinced us, because we just blame the media for everything, that's what we do. The mass media have convinced us that to be out of step with fashion is to be out of step with reality. And we, as Christians, should take exception to the modern psychosis that defines people by how much they can produce or what they earn. Or as Jesus said, life is not measured by how much you own. Okay? Turn the person beside you and go, life is not measured by how much you own. Yeah. And, and we hear that and we go, okay, so just because somebody's rich doesn't mean that they're good or don't worry, even if you're poor, God still loves you and blah, blah, blah. And we go on it. But I, I'm wondering if Jesus was trying to say, no, listen, actually, it's just completely irrelevant. Life is not measured by what you own. What you own or what you don't own is not an accurate measure in any way of who you are. It's completely irrelevant. What? No, irrelevant. 
what you own or don't own gives no meaning to who you are. God is the accurate measure of who you are. And all the rest is just stuff. It's just stuff. And so we hold the stuff loosely with open hands, you know, simplicity. And it seems to me that when I look at this idea of simplicity and I look at the big scripture, it seems to me that living with simplicity actually adds to and feeds into the values that we look at that are part of living as a Christian. For example, when I look at Paul, the apostle, you know, who wrote letters to churches, and he wrote a letter to the Philippian church, and they had sent him some money, some help in order to help him out. And he was writing them a letter back for a number of reasons, but part of that letter was a thank you. And in the middle of saying thank you, to them. He said, listen, just so you know, thank you for what you gave to me. Thank you for helping me. I also want you to know, I I have learned to be content with whatever I have. What? Yeah, I've, I've learned to be content. Well, isn't that dissing what they gave? No. He's just saying, you're, you're not changing who I am with God. You're not changing my, thank you so much. You gave what I really needed and I'm grateful for that, but you need to know I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing. How many of you know how to live on almost nothing? Okay, four of you. Or with everything. And some of you are going, I'd like the chance to try. I've learned how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little, because it's just stuff. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. This contentment, this open-handed trust, this not having, not feeling a need to grasp stuff for our security or to hang on to it or to hold on to it, to define who we are, but able to have, able to let go because God is first and everything else is just, is just stuff. And then he goes, I can do what I need to do through Christ. God gives me the strength that I need. He's the one that gives me everything that I need, and, and that's met through Jesus. And then Paul references that again in another letter. He writes this letter to a young leader named Timothy, and he says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. True godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into this world. And we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let's be content. I mean, just let's be content. If we have enough food and we have enough clothes, let's let's be content. Well, that's... I mean, that's weird. I don't know. But can I just tell you, I'm not sure that we can learn and live contentment if we also haven't understood how to learn and live simplicity. I'm not sure. If we're obsessed with stuff, either getting it or keeping it or hoarding it or finding our security in it, and we don't have a seek God first mentality, I'm not sure we're ever going to find contentment. And we're going to struggle with gratitude too. But I look at Jesus' words when he said in John chapter 14, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace that I give is a gift that you can't find at the mall. What? The peace that I give 
is a gift that is not available on Amazon. The peace that I give is a gift that does not go on sale on Black Friday. It's actually a gift that the world can't give. So don't be troubled or afraid. It's just stuff. The world, with all its stuff and all its solutions, cannot give you peace of mind and peace of heart. Jesus is going, I'm the one that's going to give that to you. So just, just follow me. Just, just trust me. Don't trust your stuff. Don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. I got That feels like simplicity to me. Now, somebody goes, all right, what does that look like? How do I actually live that in my own life? And I, I struggled with this this week because it's tricky to nail down what the idea of simplicity is. It would be very easy for me to make a list of rules and say, thus saith Patty, this is how thou shalt live. And that will be that. Because, but it's easy to make rules that don't actually touch our hearts, that don't actually shape us on the inside. It's really easy for us to judge other people and look over at them over there and go, mm, 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 I don't think you understand what simplicity is. I have it figured out. But I see that car that you have or those shoes that you bought and you don't understand simplicity. We can get really judgy on each other if we start making rules and all of that kind of thing. And I don't think that's going to help. And I think really it's about our own insides. It's going to show on the outside, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to look different for different people. In fact, it's going to look different in different stages of life for, for sometimes in our own lives. So let me give you an example, Okay. This is me being vulnerable, open, and transparent, all of those things, okay? So let's talk about food preparation, which can be complicated and, and can be a real, it just never ends because people keep eating. And so at one stage in my life, in, in an attempt uh, to walk out simplicity and to just go, I just want to simplify my life about this, I really got into, into canning and preserving things, right? And I had the, the jars and I had the, the stuff. You get all the tomatoes at harvest time and the, we lived in Ontario then, so there were the peaches and the plums and all of that stuff. And then you just make all this stuff and I would have it like a year's worth of, of canned tomatoes and canned preserves and all, and it was great, right? Then in another stage in my life, I wasn't into canning so much, but I was into like meal planning, and I would do, you know, 30 days at a time. We're going to do the giant grocery shop. We're going to go to the butcher and get 30 days worth of meat, and we're going to divide it all up, and it's all going to be, and i got a full big freezer and a full freezer of all this, because then that's simpler. I don't have to think. Can I just be honest with you about what simplicity means now? for me in food prep, because most of the time I don't have a car, so there's no stocking up for a month's worth at a time. And, and for me at this stage, simplicity means those meal kits that you can order, where they just deliver to me, here's the ingredients, follow these instructions, and you'll have supper. And I go, oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Simplicity looks different at different stages in life and for different people. So we have to be really careful about just making rules that says this is the, this is the path of simplicity. It's got to be about what's going on in our heart. And so um, in, the, in the one book that I recommended to you of Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster offers some guidelines. And, and he goes, he, he goes I'm, I'm offering these very carefully because... Because simplicity is, is, I can only offer you what it looks like on the outside, but you're the only one that's going to know what's happening on the inside. 
if we're, if we're just holding things loosely, if our hearts are being shaped, if we're not really relying on stuff, but we're relying, seeking God first and making God our first priority. So, so I'm going to throw out some of these guidelines and offer them to you as a suggestion. But keep in mind, it's the heart that matters, okay? Here's some, I'm just taking some of these. Here's some suggestions, some guidelines for, here's the first one, you ready? Buy what you need. The operative word there being need. Hmm. Buy what you need. Accumulate what you need. But don't buy it just because you want, you want new or you want, you know, pink instead of blue or because somebody else got this thing or the commercial told you this is the latest thing and your entire self-worth and everything in your life will be better if you buy that thing, right? Buy what you need, but not for status. And I, I mean, we are in a world that is overrun with gadgets. Can we say that out loud? Did you know I went into a kitchen store one time, and I was walking around. I didn't even know what half the stuff was in there. I didn't know what it was. And then I found this one thing, and I'm like, what on earth is this? Now, don't judge me, and I'm not judging you if you have one of these things, okay? But just for me, I went, there was a spoon that is only to be used for eggs. That's it. Nothing else. Because you can't use a regular spoon for eggs. That's crazy. And you certainly can't use this little spoon for anything else because that's just wrong. You know, we're really overrun in a world that has gadgets and things. We also live in a world that's really about let's just replace everything, throw out the old, get something new, long before it's worn out or is broken down or isn't. I just want you to know, and I say this with great pride, I have a popcorn popper from 1989. And it still works just fine. Thank you very much. It works great. And, and, and I remember, you know, we get into this thing of going, well, we got to buy the new thing because, and I actually almost did, I almost did the craziest thing. You know, the, there's such a focus. I'm really trying to be environmentally friendly and all of that kind. And there's these new products that you can buy for food storage. And so I thought, oh, I'm just going to, because I'm going to be environmentally friendly. This plastic stuff that I have, that's not friendly to the environment at all. So I'll just throw it out. And buy the new stuff. Okay, some of you just missed that, right? It's not environmentally friendly to throw out what I already have and is still working, right? And so, I, but but we get trapped into this thing. So buy buy what you need. I walked up to some. I walked up to somebody this morning in first service. I said, "That is the most gorgeous purse that I've ever seen." And you know what she said? I got it at Salvation Army. Yeah. Thrift stores, woo secondhand, all of that. Buy what you need. Here's the second one. Um, reject or at least question anything that's producing an addiction in you, okay? Gadgets, shoes, if you have to buy shoes every time you go out. If you have to buy games, download games every time you have an, uh, I'm hitting too close to home. If you go online and you just can't stop yourself from buying one more book, that's, that's mine. Um, if you have notifications on your phone that just constantly grab you and they're producing an addiction in you and you can't stop going on social media, you can't stop responding or doing all this thing, kind of meaningless, time-wasting stuff, maybe reject or question that. Maybe simplify a little there. Here's a, here's a fun one. Develop a habit of giving stuff away. Just giving stuff away. It just, just giving stuff away. <laughs> I mean, even if it's stuff that you're attached to. Even if it's something you just bought new and now you're going, why on earth did I just buy it? Just give it away. 
Develop a habit of giving stuff away, not just the stuff you don't like anymore or the stuff that's kind of half broken. Just develop a habit of, of living generously. Here's a fourth thing, and, and this one caught me. Learn to enjoy things without owning them. Do you know what's a great activity? Window shopping. Yeah. Did you know you can enjoy the beauty of products without actually buying them? You can do that. And it won't affect who you are at all. It will not change God's opinion of you. We can window shop. We can borrow stuff. We can rent. You can rent a bike anywhere in this city and ride that bike without owning it. We can visit places without actually owning uh, space in that place. Jeff and I have this. We, I laugh at us because we, we went out yesterday, like I said, and we went driving, you know, north of the city. And, oh, we're going to see the fall colors. And inevitably... When we're driving, we always take a route we don't know, and we end up in a community we've never seen. And inevitably, we get into that community, we go, isn't this the most adorable little community? And then inevitably, we see a for sale sign somewhere, and we go, I wonder what that would cost. I wonder, I mean, wouldn't it be great? Maybe we just get a little, get a little cottage here or a little trailer there. And wouldn't that be, and we could just, every single time. And we start going, I wonder what that would cost. I wonder if we could do it. We get ourselves all stressed out looking at, oh, well, we'd have to. And then we go, wait a minute. We don't actually have to own anything here. We can just enjoy driving through this community today and being part of it and then just go on our merry way and go back home without actually having owned anything. I know that's crazy talk. But it's possible to enjoy things without needing to own them. Here's, let me just put a little twist on one. It's, it's, sometimes it's not about the physical stuff. It might be about more than the physical stuff because some of us have our lives cluttered up with, with um, apps on our phones. And we're just, this is number five on the screens that we can just, um, maybe it's more, look beyond the stuff. Some of us have our lives, we got, we got multiple apps on our phones dinging at us all the time. Some of us, we, we literally cannot put down social media. And, and there's a little bit of an addiction going on there as well. Some of us, we're trying to do too much. Well, Patty, you don't know all the pressure. I, I know some of it anyway. And, and I, here's what I want to tell you today. No matter what the rest of the world tells you, you don't have to do all the things. You don't, you don't have to do all the things. And you don't have to do all the things perfectly. Perfection is a thing that will kill us. And we get these crazy busy calendars where we go, well, I have to do this and I have to do this and my kids have to do this and my spouse has to do that. And I have to, you know, the house must be scrubbed from top to bottom all the time. And I have to do my own canning and I have to do my own and all of this stuff. And then we're just losing our minds. And I just want you to know Simplicity is an okay thing, and simplicity sometimes means it's okay if we don't do all the things perfectly. Just throwing that out there. And really, here's the last one. Just avoid anything that's distracting you from seeking God first. Whatever that is. Whatever the thing is that gets in the way and stops you from following God and stops you from trusting God and gets in the way and says, trust me, let me give you your identity, let me, all of that. Whatever that is, just maybe avoid that. So I'm going to give you just a few minutes. Let's, let's try it t- together. And we're going to do this each on our own. I'm not going to make you gather in groups again so, so introverts can take a deep breath of relief. Okay. But 
But maybe just if it helps you, let's just, let's just look at our own lives. If it helps you, close your eyes and, and think about that. But, but just start to consider in this moment, what is your most complicated space? What is your most um, complicated or cluttered or complex space in your life? And, and if you want, you can, you can write it down as you start to go through it. So for some of you, some of us, it's going to be our homes or our workspaces. It's going to be a physical space, like a, our closet or storage or the backseat of the car or whatever, or that junk drawer. For some of us, it's going to be um, online or our online space as super complicated. Some of us, it's going to be our calendar. It's too complicated. So just consider that question. What is your most complicated space? And, and it's not just, okay, purge that space or organize it better. That's... God, how do I find contentment in that space? How do I make, how do I, how do I create room for simplicity in that space where I can hold things loosely and I can have them or I can let them go? And whatever space that is for you, whether it's your, your bedroom closet or your calendar or whatever it is, just start to invite God in and go, God, is there a way that you're inviting me to simplify? Is there, is there something that I'm holding on to too tightly? And I'm maybe starting to find my identity or my security in that. And you're inviting me to open my hand and be okay to let it go. And for some of us, it might be a habit of shopping. For some, it might be stuff we have. For some, it might be the way we use our time. But God, there's a whole lot of things out there that are competing for our attention. And they get in the way of seeking you first. And they, they claim to define us and give us value. And you're the only one that can do that. So for some of us, we're just kind of taking a deep breath right now and making a decision and going, God, I'm going to open my hands on that thing. And I'm going to just choose to hold loosely what you give. And be okay to hold it, but also be okay to let it go. Because my value is not defined by what I have or what I do. My value is defined by you. Would you help me to not be owned by stuff? you help me to learn what it means to seek the kingdom of God first and in that simplicity just learn to be content and actually grateful because I have enough food I have enough clothes and you are the one who's looking after me anyway
So God, we just release to you the things that you may have shown us just now. Set us free, God, from the hold that stuff has on us sometimes. Set us free. Thanks for that, God. I'm going to invite you to stand with me, and we're going to close our service the same way we do every single week. Where, God, we stand together and we come to the end of this time that we have, this gathering together of worship. We come in here to be with each other and to be with you and to worship you, but also to have something that then we can take out into our world again. And we're going back out into jobs and houses and food preparation and neighbors and laundry and school and kids and spouses and parents. God, as we go into those spaces, would you help us to live with simplicity this week and just breathe that, be that. Would you help us then from that space to do good? I mean, really, God, would you show us a space where we can do good that we never noticed before? Today, tomorrow, sometime this week, help us to do good in our world. And would you help us to love each other? Like, really, just love people. And help us to reveal Jesus, to carry Jesus into all the spaces where we live so that others can know you and they can see you and they can have their lives shaped and impacted by the presence of Jesus Christ as well. Help us to do that, God, with joy and with gratefulness. Ask that you would take each one of us and walk us through the coming week. Bring us back safely next week. And we will do it all for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you want to receive prayer this morning, you can go to one of those ministry team stations. There's somebody there. Make sure you say hi to somebody on your way out today. Grab yourself a coffee. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday.